Welcome once again to Matt Ricardo's London Varieties. My name is Matt Ricardo. Great show this month. If you were there live, you saw corporate hula hoop craziness from Circularity Thinking, saucy shenanigans from East End Cabaret, a very special guest in the form of the great Peter John. You saw Jenny Eclair being hilarious and libelous in equal amounts, and the fabulous up and over it, making a beautiful and quite messy spectacle to close the show. We had fun. I've been getting a lot of uh, really nice feedback about last month's podcast, so thank you for that. Particularly, it looks like a lot of you really enjoyed the interview with uh, William Regal, the professional wrestler. Um, I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, it also gives me a reason to tell you a joke that Mr. Regal told me last week. Uh, fella goes for a job at a blacksmith's. Blacksmith says, uh, have you ever shooed a horse? No, says the fella, but I told a donkey to fuck off once. Anyway. On this month's podcast, you will hear bits and pieces of most of the show as usual, but mainly you'll be hearing my interview with Jenny Eclair. From punk poet to both a loose and a grumpy old woman, she's done it all and is still as feisty and fantastic as ever. She was a complete joy to talk to and the love in the room for her was a wonderful thing to see. Hope you enjoy it. My name is Matt Ricardo. I am a juggler. I think we're going to start the show uh, this evening, if you will indulge me. Uh, I'm going to attempt to impress you with some juggling. <laughs> if you're going to do that, make it sound at least partway convincing, otherwise, yeah. So I would like, I would like with your kind indulgence to attempt to impress you by showing you a couple of quick but exciting juggling tricks with we. Thank you so much. Well, I think we are ready for our first act. Are you ready for a first act? Okay, well, okay, look, you're going to have to wait just a little bit longer for the first act. Um, I'm going to let you in on behind the curtain of show business now. Um, this show is not cheap to put on. Every month I, I work hard to deliver you the absolute best variety and speciality acts. They do not come cheap. It's a sad fact. So, and please don't hate me for this, this month's show has a corporate sponsor. Okay, now just, so if you would just please, just give 10 minutes right at the top of the night to a couple of quick words from our corporate sponsor and then we can move on with the show. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Okay, so please welcome the lovely people from Circularity Thinking. Circularity thinking has had an immeasurable impact on our core development. Circularity thinking has revolutionised business, literally. Why think outside the box when you can think inside the circle? They weren't really a call for a sponsor. I was lying. <laughs> so! Um, those of you that have been here before will know that every month I give myself a challenge, uh, I set myself a trick um, that I will learn in the intervening month and perform for the first time live <laughs> in front of you people the following month. Um, can anybody remember what it was last month? Magic, yeah, bastards. Um, <laughs> This, this came from a little issue I had, because when I did the Edinburgh Festival last year, I got some very nice reviews, I was very happy, but every single review that I got said that I was a magician. And I'm not, I'm a juggler. And it really started to annoy me. So I thought, right, for this challenge, here's what I'll do. In an effort to illustrate how different these two art forms are, magic and juggling, I will perform for you, live, in a minute, 
juggling and magic simultaneously at the same time. So here's how my month was. Last month at the show, I set myself the challenge of this month performing magic and juggling simultaneously. Now, obviously, the juggling side of this should be fairly elementary. I am not all a juggler. However, contrary to pretty much every review I have ever received, I am not a magician. I've never performed any magic. I don't you know anything about it. Magic is stupid and hard. <laughs> now, um, this, this venue, this, is, this has become one of my favorite places in the world um, over the last few months that I've been doing shows here. Um, this venue has been hosting variety shows and cabaret for, for decades and decades. And that's kind of why I like, like to be here. I feel like I'm part of, part of a lineage, part of a legacy by, by doing a show here. Um, it is, it is sticky floored, tatty, smelly, and magnificent. And one of the great things about, about hanging out here is that during the afternoon, you occasionally meet some of the old fellas that, that come here and have been coming here for decades. And they tell you stories, they talk to you. It's really, it's really quite special. So with your indulgence, um, I'd like to bring up on stage uh, one of these old fellas now. Um, I met him earlier today, and he's just sort of part of the furniture here. And I think he might have some nice stories to tell. So please. Welcome him. Thank you very much. Good evening. I am the alternative to the alternative. Looking round, I think you're all a great deal younger than me. Anybody as old as I feel? I don't know about you, I've reached the age when if it doesn't ache, it isn't working properly. A local resident! Oh, poor, poor. I should say so. Now, ladies and gentlemen, every month I like to take a couple of minutes um, of your valuable evening to tell you about uh, one of my personal heroes. Uh, sometimes there's somebody that, uh, that you will have heard of, and other times there's someone that you might not have heard of. Um, and tonight it's the latter. Tonight I'd like to talk to you um, about a man called Peter John. Peter started performing in 1957. He was one of the founder members, one of the founder members of the National Theatre. He was in Olivier's Othello. He's, a, he's an accomplished writer and actor and director and musical expert and turn. He has written six pantomimes and performed in over 35. He's worked with pretty much a who's who of the greats of British comedy over the past 40 years, including, of course, Morecambe and Wise. He is a recipient of a Lifetime Achievement Award from the British Musical Society. When I was first starting my career, I had the pleasure of touring a musical show um, with Peter John. Um, and from the, the first moment I saw him work, I knew that it was something special, and I used to stand in the wings every night and watch uh, what I knew from the first moment I saw him was a master of his craft. Anything that I have learned about standing in front of people and being funny, 95% I learned from Peter John. At this point, usually I would throw to a video of one of his acts, but you just saw one of his acts. Um, so please give it up one more time for Mr. Peter John. Hello again! 
interval? Yes. Okay. Um, it is now my absolute pleasure to introduce for a little chat on stage. Um, she's a, a writer, uh, an actor, a comedian. Fast, shut up, fast. <laughs> becoming national treasure. But I think you will know her best as 2008 Specsavers glasses wearer <laughs> of the year. <laughs> Miss Jenny Eclair! Well, good evening. Are you going to make me cry? Oh, I do you want me to? I love talking about myself. <laughs> How far back can we go? Well, okay, well, here's... We have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> oh, it's all about me. Go on. Sometimes, you know, I have to push the interview along, but I think today I can just read a book and yeah. let you go. <laughs> um, okay, so here's, here's my first gambit. Okay. Um, in the 80s, and I, I... How dare you? <laughs> Working then. I started working in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, okay. you, just, you just called me old in the dressing room. <laughs> um, so in the 80s, you answered an advert in the stage yes. looking for novelty acts. So take us up to that point. Oh, oh. That's right. what I did there. Settle down, everybody. <laughs> okay, so I finished drama school, which was a mess, because um, I really thought I was going to be an actress, and I, all I did at drama school was sleep with men that looked like they lived under a carpet, and then <laughs> I got a dreadful eating disorder, which I quite enjoyed, actually. I got over that, as you can see. Um, and uh, so, yes, I became a punk poet. Because when you were at drama school in the late 70s, early 80s, to get your equity card, you either had to sing or strip. Um, so I can't sing, I'm like a penguin in Happy Feet. So I chose stripping. That's when I got my first laugh. I thought, oh, here we go, hot. Um, and uh, I followed John Cooper Clark. I was a huge fan of John Cooper Clark. And um, yeah, he's, he's, there's going to be a documentary out about him very soon, apparently. And um, so I adopted the Mancunian accent, and I remember one of the poems, I did uh, punk poetry, and it went, Oh dear, agony auntie, I have a discharge in my panties. <laughs> it's not VD, I'm sure of that. I've never had trouble before with my twat. <laughs> I was before my time. <laughs> So, um, armed with some odes like that, I um, and I was, I was sort of quite pretty, uh, which is extraordinary. I was pretty and young, and I had these poems on a clipboard, and um, I, I did that for a while. And then I realised that everybody was doing more stand-up, and I was getting a bit left behind. So I started writing poems for a women's magazine. Was, is it still around? Company magazine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't buy any women's magazines because they're all shit. Because <laughs> um, they, uh, uh, they just make women feel worse and worse and worse. Um, anyway, so um, I'll do a poem that um, did this on Countdown. <laughs> do Countdown, right? And they want you to do anecdotes. I haven't got a single clean anecdote. <laughs> Not for a five o'clock in the afternoon show. So I did the, the poems. Anyway, this one is called The Swimming Lesson. Sorry, my bra. <laughs> um, I'll tell you a story about having a bra fitting later. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I never usually wear a bra. My first bra I bought because I was going to a funeral. <laughs> And I wanted to, to look smart. I don't think you should swing free at the funeral. And I went to Marks and Spencer's where she's got the properly trained woman. She's called um, the Bosom Wrangler. 
<laughs> and she kind of gets you in a, in a little cubicle. And anyway, she's got me this bra, and I'm, I'm not uh, well endowed. And you know, there's two ways of looking at life. You can be an optimist or a pessimist, you know, you're... And I looked in the mirror and I thought, my cups are half empty. And uh, she genuinely, she looked at me, she looked at me in this bra, I looked in the mirror, looked back at me and she went, try not to get depressed. <laughs> 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 I said, my brother-in-law's dead. It's a funeral bra. <laughs> I'll fill it with my tears. <laughs> I said, uh, when I cry these days, I'm so old and bitter. When I cry, vinegar. <laughs> um, anyway, the swimming lesson. I have been swimming 30 lengths, actually. I am getting dressed with a lot of 11-year-old schoolgirls. Suddenly, their teacher shouts, Who's getting dressed without her knickers? I have found a pair of knickers by the lockers. Whose are these knickers? <laughs> they are mine. That's <laughs> 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 very young. <laughs> Go on, next question. <laughs> I did. I, I, I answered an advert on stage, and um, it was a bit like this. There was a, a night at the pub in Wimbledon. And it was, in those days, alternative comedy hadn't really got going. This has been about 1982. And it was called New, New Variety. Mm. And people don't really give the people who invented that very much credit. And it was actually Roland and Claire Muldoon, who were also responsible for saving the Hackney yeah. Empire. Blah, blah. And we've all done fucking gig after gig after gig <laughs> to save that place, I tell you. More benefits than you can shake the fucking sick out <laughs> Um, but they had loads of clubs all over the place, loads of rooms above pubs and things like that. So I did this gig in Wimbledon and I was on with, there was a woman called Gertrude Schilling, um, whose son, yes, Gertrude Schilling, her son was a hat maker. And she just wore stupid hats and, and sang ridiculous songs. And then there was a mime act called The Great Sense of, the Great Sense of Brute. Because uh, there was a, a person who brought around at the time, I can't remember. And then there was a man who sang a song about having a ticket pocket and he put his ticket in it. <laughs> he was a bit of a cunt. <laughs> but it was much more, much more, as tonight has been, much more variety in those days. Yeah, I mean, we were just, we were just talking back then about how, in the last couple of years, Time Out has suddenly had a cabaret section Jump again. Onto the fashionable bandwagon. The fashionable bandwagon yeah. that I am the standard bearer of. Um, <laughs> and of course, you know, people are saying, oh, it's finally, you know, it's great that finally there's a cabaret section in Time Out. But of course, there was in the 80s, the, what is now the comedy section was the cabaret section. Yeah. It was called cabaret. And everything. Yeah. And there were many more. It, it, it seems to me fragmented now. There's a lot of sort of stand up clubs that are just young men in skinny jeans and ironic t-shirts. <laughs> Aren't there though? Oh, Jesus. Talking about women. Haven't you ever noticed? Um, and then there's places like this that are starting to come up a bit where there's everything else is lumped together. Burlesque and cabaret and circus and, and it used to be all together. I haven't got a question, that's just, I've just, well thank you, it's all, it's all me. It's all me. Um, <laughs> No, all, all my other questions are, are just statements about me. Is that not? You can read them if you. I mean, that would be fine. 
Do you want to talk about me? <laughs> okay, so the change from poetry into stand-up. Yes, was gradual and um, scary. And I, I, I mean, literally, I'm not, I still don't think of myself as a stand-up. I'm not a natural stand-up. I'm not, you know, I still can't do that banter thing where people come on and go, where have you come from? Oh, look at your top. You know, I'm the fat. I can't look at that. That's the three things. <laughs> I can't really do that. So I'm a, I think, really, I'm a writer-performer. And I always have been. I'm always I'm a bit of a coward, actually. Really, so I invented this stage persona that was very sort of red in tooth and claw and very sweary and very sort of rude because I was about 23, 24 and I was coming on stage. It was just rough in those days. I mean, it genuinely was. So few women comics that you'd come on stage and basically you'd come on, you'd vaguely hear your name. As soon as they twigged it was a woman, it was fuck off, fuck. Stage before they start to go, no, you fuck off, no, you fuck off! <laughs> and then we go, oh, right, okay, now it's in the um, I, can't, I can't remember very much my stand up at all. I genuinely can't remember much my stand up, but I know it was kind of rude and I had this, I was pretending to be much harder than mm. I actually was. And most of the time I was just a snivelling gagging idiot, you know, sort of choking back on my own sick. <laughs> ah, show business. Yeah, yeah, you know, still, less now, because, I mean, I, I very rarely do gigs when my audience is as mixed as this. I mean, I, there are men in the audience. I never, I never do men. It's marvellous. I look at, I mean, there are literally, when I do the stand-up shows that I do on the tour, I, I, the men, or as I call them, the designated drivers. <laughs> None of them are there by choice. <laughs> but really, I would say, you know, uh, is, I'm, I'm actually sponsored by Relate. <laughs> it's very good for couples to come and see me together because after an hour and a half of me, all the men are leaving the theatre and they hold their partner that much closer. Or they pull her to their bosom and they stroke her hair. And they're saying, at least you're not her. <laughs> Some women even get breakfast in bed out of it the next day. That's fucking overrated, isn't it? Breakfast in bed. Soggy cornflakes, wrong kind of marmalade. I fucking marmalade. Milk in my tea. I've had milk in my tea for 20 years. You fucking moron! <laughs> it is a complete myth that women like breakfast in bed. We don't like breakfast in bed. We don't like oral sex either. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> you not probably still do. You probably still like oral sex. Us older ladies think, hmm, oh, it's an interesting sex act, but it's a terrible view. <laughs> I remember I did, I did a gig, um, I was on a bill with you in the late 80s. And your no, you killed. Um, and your all I remember about the set was you. You did one opening gag before you even said good evening, and it was a gag. Of, I'll, I'll, I'll take it off mic so you because I can't remember the gag. I don't want to spoil the punchline. Oh yeah, that was that again. Was your, your opening line? Well, pink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> Gag. These the young people won't get it because it was about a politician's wife who, oh no, it was awful, really, because she'd been in a bomb and was, um, <laughs> was paralysed and let down or something. I went on stage and said, 
what's pink and fluffy doesn't move. <laughs> but it was the fact that you said that as you were coming on and then said good evening. Come back! It was this opening salvo that was bulletproof. Um, okay, so let's go to 1989. Uh, you won the Time Out Cabaret Award. 1989. A woman could be the first woman of anything like that in 1995. Uh, they had been going for a while, yes, and I was terribly anxious to get it. I mean, it really was uh, unhealthy how much I wanted that award. I remember <laughs> Donald McPhail, who um, was a stand-up at the time, um, and I remember she was nominated. And I, I went to bed for the rest of the day. I couldn't bear it. Like, I was so jealous. Um, so when I was nominated, I was, it was, I was beyond excited. And, um, but I only won because it was one of those hung jury things, you know, there were, oh. everybody, there were everybody else wanted either, I think it was briefly Grapho, who's brilliant, mm. I have to say, or someone else, and in the end, everybody's second choice was me. Ah, I won! Yeah, suckers! Um, <laughs> so I was very, um, yeah. But then nobody knew what to do with me, because I was this sort of, ridiculous creature that just swore a lot and did rude jokes. And, you know, all the television people were going, well, we can't have that. And uh, it, it kind of did, nothing happened. And it was sort of slightly disappointing. And mm. um, I just had to go back the next year with a show that I, I sort of rather bitterly called Wig On, Teeth In. <laughs> that's how I felt. Yeah. Here we fucking go again, you know. Yeah. And that's how it's been ever since. <laughs> no, it sort of goes in cycles, doesn't it? You sort of have little bits of success and you think, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. And then, oh, and that happened to about just over two years ago when, you know, I had worked my fucking ass off for so long. And you think, really? Come on, industry. Find me a niche. <laughs> Find me a niche. That's going to be the title of my biography. <laughs> Find me a niche. And, um, and, and I've written all the grumpy shows and travelled the world with them and everything was great and I've written some books and just suddenly the phone stopped ringing. I had a new tour going out called um, I Forgot to Get a Pension Tour and just nobody was turning up. Oh, that's awful. Because you're looking and you can count. And, you, and when there's so few people, you know what the box office split is going to be. That's bad. That's bad when you can count the box office split within the first five minutes. And um, that's why I went into the jungle. Yeah. So that's that. Because I was talking to you at, at that point about shooting your portrait. And then suddenly um, I didn't get any emails back from you. And I was on the verge of going that fucking bitch. Yeah. And then and then you were on my television in the jungle. I was like, oh, okay, that's a good enough reason. She's <laughs> in the jungle. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I mean, so... Have I left? So I've just done well, you've left a little bit, but it's fine. I'm flexible. Um, Not as flexible as me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be able to get it round my neck. You see, down there. You can't... You can't do a flexible brag and then tag it with, I used to be able to get my... Oh, no, I should practice more. 
Every time I do that, I fart really bad. <laughs> Not when we fart. That's great. We just, no. we just release our own perfume. As <laughs> my mother calls it, she says, it's only wind, it's only wind. As if it was a, a fresh mountain breeze coming in from an alpine pasture. When in fact it's the disgusting stench of a semi-decomposed lamb hot pot. <laughs> With red cabbage. <laughs> 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 nice, bit, nice bit spots of the red cabbage there. <laughs> so, you kind of answered this question, but you, you diversified. You wrote, and don't give me that look, you know what the word means, diversified. You were, you were a comedian, yes you were. Yeah. And, then, and then you... Yeah, I, I know, I booked you, obviously. <laughs> um, and then you acted, and then you started writing, and you wrote how many novels now? Uh, just The third one comes out on July the 5th, which I'm really pleased with it, actually. It's, it's actually really, really good. I'm surprised. But I, 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 you know, I keep reading it again. No, uh, <laughs> oh, I say that. No, I'm really thrilled with it. Uh, I don't get much money for writing books, actually. Uh, if you sort of work out the money work ratio is kind of student nurse things <laughs> but I get enormous pleasure from seeing them on the shelf because I'm very pretentious. <laughs> and if you scratch any comedian you will find a pretentious wanker. Honestly oh. <laughs> you know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> There's quite a few to pick. Yeah. So was I mean you've, again you've kind of answered this question was that of the acting and the writing? Was that a response to the? Not yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to say in a nice <laughs> way. Stealing all my jobs. That woman. <laughs> oh, she was once very, very rude to me. She's. I uh, know. She actually. You know what? Because I was allowed to get away with being very rubbish in the 80s for a very, very long time. Just no women comics. Well, there were about three of us. French and Saunders had already left the circuit. They never really worked it. <laughs> <laughs> around for two minutes, snapped up by the telly, fucked off as soon as they could. Anyway. <laughs> and then uh, there, was, there was me, Helen Ledger, and a girl called Jenny Lacote. Oh, Jenny um, Lacote. Yeah, yes. Ooh. And um, and then uh, oh, none of us were any good, really. And then Joe Brand suddenly arrived, and I remember seeing her at the Tunnel Club, which is the only other club in London that I have ever smelt, apart from this one. It smells the same as this. Do you know that's the yeah. kind of smell you can chew on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you walk on this carpet, you're walking on half an inch of beer from the 50s. Yeah, it's sticky. Yeah, sticky. Sticky floor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I remember seeing her thinking, oh, right, I've got, got to up my game a bit here. Mm. Okay, so <laughs> tell me about loose women. The poison challenge. It's <laughs> daytime It's it's terrifying. Um, it's hilarious because it's sort of like panto, which I have done as well. But panto is much more tiring. You have to wear a very big dress. That's sort of like kind of thing Lady Gaga would nip down shops to get a pint of milk in. Um, and um, loose women just, you know, at my age, it's quite nice to have a one day a week proper job. Because I've never really had one. And it's quite near my house. 
Okay, um, I think maybe it's time to let you do what you do best. Well, I, I won't do long because honestly it's risky. <laughs> okay, um, I'm going to hand you over for a few minutes now to Ginny Clare. I'm generally a lot of what I've got here, it's a bit peckish. And so I went to this cafe, and now, I don't know whether you know this cafe, it's around the corner. And you might recognise it because behind the counter there's a big poster in this, in this cafe, behind the counter. And the poster, it's almost funny ones. <laughs> and it says, you don't have to be mad to work here. And then somebody had written a little bio letters, and it wasn't me. But you do have to suck the manager's cock. <laughs> I thought, I couldn't work here. I couldn't. No, I have to say to that manager, I'm very sorry, Mr. Boss Man. I can butter you some bread. I can put you a baked potato in that there microwave. But I'm not going to suck your cock. <laughs> because do you know what, Beth McQueen? My cock-sucking days are behind me. <laughs> I am very glad to say, now that is one of the perks of being 52. <laughs> Nobody expects you to suck them off anymore. <laughs> or give them a whack. Ooh, do you remember having to do all that when you were younger? <laughs> Just to be popular. <laughs> By the time I was 17, I had a right arm like Popeye. I could only wear dresses with great big Lego mutton sleeves. Forgetting tennis elbow, I had Ranker's bicep. I don't have to make that move anymore. Every time I make that move these days is when I'm playing Monopoly. I'm hoping for a lucky six. This is true, I remember once when I was about 17, I was sucking this lad off. In a bus shelter in Little St. Anne's. Classy. I thought I was bored. Oh, oh, I was bored. Oh, I was bored. And I remember thinking, I wonder if I squeeze it really hard, he'll die. And I can go get some chips. Anxiety. So basically, if you don't want to look like shit, 
don't have kids. Because <laughs> children, children are the biggest source of worry on the planet. And I've only got one. And look at the state of me. The more kids, the more worry. I, for what, I cannot wait for Angelina Jolie's lot to be teenagers. <laughs> Because that woman is going to look like Doc Cotton. <laughs> she is going to rock so fast, she's going to cement. I've <laughs> got mine's not even a kid anymore, she's 23. I don't know, it's just gone. It goes so fast, it goes so fast, and sometimes you miss the little people that they used to be. Do you remember when they used to come in your bedroom in the morning, they used to come in to get into the bed for snugglies, come in for snugglies? Sherry did this because she pissed her own bed. <laughs> and she just wanted somewhere dry to lie down. And, you know, you worry as soon as they're born, you worry when they're old, you think they might run out between parked cars, and then when they're 23, you worry that they don't get a fucking job and they're just going to sponge up you for the rest of that has even temporarily left home <laughs> to make you realise quite how long a packet of cereal can last. It's <laughs> <laughs> the cereal this packet for over a week. <laughs> it's a magic box of Cheerios. She's <laughs> living at home. Like, this is a picture I'm off in two minutes. She's living at home. And, um, uh, no, seriously, because I don't know what it's like me watching people think, yeah, funny, had enough, fuck off now, all right. Uh, <laughs> no, no, really, seriously. So, anyway, uh, she's living at home, and I, I don't mind like being at home. When she's at home, I want her sat on the sofa. I just want her sat on the sofa so I can stand behind her and breathe down the back of her neck. <laughs> that's what I like to do. She likes going out, clubbing, getting off with blokes and all that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know where she got that from, and I don't <laughs> Mothers lying in their beds, wide awake, absolutely rigid with anxiety. He's snoring his fucking head off. Why isn't he worrying? Why isn't he worrying about going bored or something? I can hear his arteries clogging up. Why isn't he worrying about that? One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. Inevitably, what happens about half three in the morning is that anxiety will suddenly coincide with a sudden dramatic rise in the temperature. <laughs> you are dripping with sweat. The sheets are sopping. You've either got pneumonia, wet the bed, or had a hot flush. <laughs> Go to the bathroom to cool down. Had to flap your hat about. with all of her mates and they're creeping up the stairs trying not to wake you only to be greeted by the sight of you laughing around on the landing let's make it worse right one of them is sick that nice looking lad that nice looking lad is sick 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 sick, sick. and he swears blind it's because he's drunk <laughs> 
But do you have a horrible feeling? It's because he caught sight of you with no clothes on. Well, on that lovely image, I will leave you to be sick in your own mouths. Thank you very much. But we're not done with this evening yet. We have one more act. And they're going to turn you inside out. Please welcome the incredible Up and Over It! These ladies have just come back from a sellout run at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival where they were awarded Best Cabaret Act. They are the hottest rising stars of cabaret. Please go nuts for the amazing East End Cabaret!
Hope you enjoyed that. That Jenny Eclair is quite the thing, isn't she? So, as usual, if you enjoyed the podcast, then please come and see the show live. The only reason we can put the podcast out for free is because people like you support the show by coming to see it live. So if you have never seen it live, you've been missing a lot. We've only got two more London shows this year. So if you're going to come and see it, get your shit together soon. Next month, June the 14th at the Bethnal Green Working Men's Club, we have one of the funniest and craziest comedy acts in the country, Mr. Noel Britton, all the way from Ireland, armed only with the powers of dance, circus and spandex unitards, the mighty lords of strut and former world champion of close-up magic and one of Devon Brown's co-writers. This is a man who has performed his act privately for the Queen five times, Richard McDougall. Plus, we've got a very special guest. We've got archive variety footage, me doing a brand new trick, all the usual guaranteed good times. Tickets are a tenner from mattricardo.com. Go there now, buy a couple, treat yourself, and help support a jaded old variety schmuck trying to do something fun. And that's all for this week. As always, thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Kirsty at Sounds Wild for producing the podcast and the British Comedy Guide for hosting it. Hope to see you at the show next month, but for now, that is your London Varieties. London, 1938. War looms over Europe, but the threat is closer to home for washed-up Great War veteran Carrie Donnett. Don't go to the police. Why not? They'll think you did it. When his fiancée Lily is murdered, he finds himself pulled into a sinister world of ruthless fascists, insane scientists, and desperate double agents. I've been accused of murder. The police are after me. And there's a cabal of foreign spies that are trying to kill us. Can Carrie clear his name, get his revenge, thwart his enemies, and save the world from the monstrous Shadow Formula? The Shadow Formula. A new play written and directed by David Roberts and starring Edwin Flay as Carrie Donnett and Fiona Navalis' as beautiful rogue agent, Raz Peel. You don't know what I've had to sacrifice. See it from May 31st to June 16th at the Greenwood Theatre in London. Visit shadowformula.com for more details and to book tickets. The Shadow Formula. Catch it before it slips into the shadows. Matt Ricardo's London Varieties. Yeah.